believe Burlington Baptist Church is in good hands for the next 40 or 50 years. What do you think? It's good to see everybody. Great job there, kiddo. About to get my worship on. I like that line. That's a good line right there. I want to say thank you to our praise team and everybody upstairs. We've been here the last couple nights with the Northern Kentucky Baptist Association. They were so excited that we hosted it, and really, you guys did a great job. Give our team a big round of applause for their service. Somebody said we shouldn't be clapping for each other. Well, Bible says we should encourage one another. Somebody say amen. Those of you that don't know, I spent this week in Florida with Jeff Perry and his wife and my wife, and we took Tim Tate with us. We go down every year to see the seniors. We have about 50 snowbirds that are down there, and they invite us to come every year. And what we do is we go down there. We usually go on a Monday or early in the week, and then the uh, next day they bring a potluck meal, and they meet in this park. And it's a big shelter park, you know. And next door is this thing called Sharky's Grill, and there's a pier there. And we play a little gospel music, sit up there and sing hymns. The next thing you know, people are standing around us. We don't even know who they are. And they're really cool. So we had a great week. But, you know, some things don't always start out great, right? Yeah, say amen to that, right? Monday morning, Jeff and Kendra uh, and I and Diane were going to meet out here at the church. And so we got up, and uh, we'd had a busy week last week, Diane and I did. And we were packing. You ever, you ever get in a hurry? Throw everything, you know? We're just wadding it, throwing it, and here we go. We're off and running, and... And so we get up, and we, it's 5.30, we meet out here in the parking lot, and, and Diane, I get my stuff out of the side, and she goes, what did you do with my bag? I said, I didn't have your bag. She goes, you didn't pick up my bag? I said, no. I said, well, where's your bag? I don't know. Where's it? That afternoon, I got a call from AJ, who was watching our house, and he said, there's a black bag on your front porch. And that's the way life can be sometimes, can it, you know, and you just have to kind of roll with it. We're studying these churches. We're wrapping it up today. I know some of you are really happy about that. Uh, there's seven churches, and we've covered them all. We're going to cover two more today, and these are the last two churches uh, of the book of Revelation. And I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you've learned something, and I hope one of the things that you've learned is that the book of Revelation is not scary. The book of Revelation is a book of promises, and these churches have messages that are relevant to us. And so we're going to start today by reading uh, out of the, out of the uh, third chapter. I'm going to ask them to pull that up for me. And let's read this together. Oh, boy. Maybe I should get my Bible. I can't read those white letters. There we go. Scared me there for a second. Good. All right, let's watch this. Let's see what it says. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who was, has the key of David. And what he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things that you do, and I have opened the door for you that no one can close. Make sure you remember that. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny it. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. And they will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you've obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All those who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on the name them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying. He closes every one of these letters to the churches that way. Let's go to the next one. 
write this letter to the angel. This is the other church, Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen. The one who is the amen. I like that. That's a neat phrase. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot or cold. Watch this. I wish that you were one or the other. I wish you were either hot or cold is what he's saying. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Woof. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need anything. And you don't, know, you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, and then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness, and ointments from your eyes to see so you will be able to. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, watch this, I stand at the door and I knock, and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. I love this part, you guys. I will come in and I will share a meal together with friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne, and he closes again with those words, anyone who has ears to hear, let's listen to the Spirit as he shares what he is saying. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for this week. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for all that you poured out on us over these last few days, especially here in the church and these services that we've had. God, I, I, I am so grateful for each person that's here today. I pray that we've come in this place with our hearts prepared to hear a word from you, not from me. And so, God, I pray that you give me the gift of preaching, and I pray that Holy Spirit speaks to each person, and that when we leave here today, we recognize that we are your children, and we can be encouraged because we worship you. It's not about us. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus, and everybody together said, amen. We're going to look at two churches. The first church is the city of Philadelphia. It's not the one up in, Pennsylvania, up in Pennsylvania. This is a city that was over in Asia. It was a church that was established in 189 B.C. I give you guys all this background a little bit, maybe too much, but I give it to you so you kind of understand what was going on and why these words mean so much to these people. It was called the city of Philadelphia, and it was uh, dedicated to a brother of the leader. And it, the name literally means what? What does Philadelphia mean, those of you who are ball players? That's where it came from, right here. This is where it came from. Yeah, brotherly love. It was established as a place to spread Greek culture. That's the only reason this city was built, was to spread Greek culture, which was opposed at this time to Christianity. They were out there preaching this one thing, and the gospel was going out to the message. There's several factors that were opposing this early church. One of them was earthquakes. There were earthquakes. I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake or not, but it can be kind of scary. They were in a city that was what they, there was a whole lot of shaking going on. There were earthquakes happening in this place. There were also influencers of religious people called Judaizers, and then there was persecution from within the church itself. In fact, there were so many earthquakes that every time the ground would shake, the people of this city would run out of town. They'd run out into the country and stand because they'd seen it so many times. There was no stability, literally, on the ground that they were standing, culturally, they were a lot like the other cities that we studied. They were wealthy. They were uh, uh, about art and music. It was Greek. Man, I mean, there's some really cool stuff in the Greek culture you look at. There were theaters. There were religions and philosophies. It's to this backdrop that Jesus speaks to John and gives him this word. The only thing left of this church today are the pillars of, this, of the temple. In the midst of all this, you could see why the church was discouraged. They were facing all these obstacles, and they were discouraged. They were to the point where they wanted to throw their hands up. 
Have any of you here today ever been to that point where you wanted to throw your hands up and say, I've had enough? I have. And I think it's something that we, that we, we kind of discover as we go along in life. And so it's to this backdrop. Jesus knows what they're going through, and he gives them this word. Watch what he says. I have opened a door for you that no man can close, though you have little strength. That ought to make you just jump up and down if you're a believer. I've opened a door. You see, discouragement can really take its toll on us. Have you ever seen somebody so beaten down, so discouraged, that they can't even look up, that they're hurting? It's a tough one, but God doesn't want you or me to be discouraged. You know what? In the Bible, the words do not be discouraged are mentioned 83 times. Do not be discouraged. Why do you think that is? Discouragement is really a real thing in this life. It's very real, and it causes problems in our lives if we don't deal with it over and over and over. We get discouraged, but we have to deal with it. You know what? One of the things that discouragement does is it blinds us to opportunity. When we get discouraged, sometimes we, we, we don't even see the opportunities that come along. We don't see the open doors because we don't look up. Someone said that discouragement's like driving a car while looking in the rearview mirror. We can't get past the past. We keep looking to the things that are in the back instead of looking forward to Jesus. God doesn't want you to be discouraged this morning. When we say things like, well, I'll never finish that, get to the point where we say, whatever, whatever, you fill in the blank. Sometimes it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when you think that. There's a gentleman in this church, sometimes he'll call me through the week, and he'll say, how you doing? And I'll say, I'm doing good, you know, and he'll say, really? I've got this, you know, like sixth sense or whatever, I call it the Holy Spirit. And he'll say, I'm praying for you, man. So I know things sometimes are getting a little rough, but he said, here's the deal, attitude, attitude, attitude. And a lot of truth in that. Discouragement causes us to be blinded sometimes. And if we're not in the right frame of mind, we don't see the opportunities. The Bible says, I open a door for you. And if we're not looking, sometimes we don't see that thing. So I want to encourage you today. The second thing that discouragement can do, it can make us weak. When we're discouraged, we're more prone to give in to temptation. Use words like, well, you know, it is what it is, so I just might as well go ahead and do this. And usually, I don't know what your experience has been with that, but when I do that, it usually doesn't turn out very well. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. Don't give in to temptation. Follow the Lord in those moments. The third thing is discouragement can prevent us from seeing our self-worth say this over and over if you don't whenever the day comes if it ever comes for me to leave whether it's to go to heaven or whatever I want you to remember this God loves you and you are worth something you don't believe me you look at that cross behind me you look at a cross every time you think you're not worth something and you look at that cross and you remember this God so loved you that he died for you your self-worth is in Jesus and that's what he's telling his church in Philadelphia the city of brotherly love to open their eyes and not be discouraged. Even though the world's shaking around them physically, don't you give up. Don't you give up. Heard a story in, was written in the New York Times about a homeless man who was an alcoholic. He was living on the streets, or 
One day the building was on fire. People were trapped in the building and the mother was in desperation with her baby child. She's on one of the lower floors and she did this to throw her baby to save its life and this homeless man was standing there. He saw that and so he copped the baby and saved its life. Homeless man, alcoholic. It makes the news and, and so that catches him by surprise, he looks up and there's TV cameras in front of him want to give an interview. And he was so discouraged when they asked him about what it was like to be a hero. He said, I'm not a hero, I'm just a drunken bum. He's been so discouraged for so long that he can't see his suffering. Jesus loves those kind of people today. Because that's the people that he died for. And he wants you to come out of that. He wants us to come out of this discouragement, this trap of discouragement. He wants to lift you up and wants you to be encouraged. Be of good cheer. That's what he says. I've overcome the world. Wow. You hold on. Today it may be all you can do to hold on, but you hold on by his grace. Don't you give up. About four or five years ago, I don't know how long it's been, maybe not quite that long ago, my mother-in-law began to feel ill. And, and she's a beautiful lady, big family, nine kids, and she was precious, man. I'll tell you, if anybody ever had a saint, my mother-in-law, I did. She was a neat lady, and she had stage four cancer when they found it, and it was like, you know, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> and I remember that sound, and, and when you hear those words, it's, 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 you know, it's very difficult. And I remember the family was distraught, and I walked outside, and I called a friend of mine. And I said, man, I don't know. I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to have the answers, but I don't know what to do right at this moment. I remember I can tell you exactly where I was standing. I was at Anderson Murphy Hospital. I was leaning up against a tree, and I was on the phone. And the person on the other end of that phone is a dear friend of mine, and you know what he said? You know what he told me? He let me talk. And then when I got finished, you know what he said to me? He said, you hold on. Don't you ever give up. Better days are ahead. Today, that's what Jesus is telling these folks. Hold on. Don't you give up. There's a door coming. There's an opportunity coming. You don't believe me? Look back. Look back on your life on those moments when the ground was shaking. God made a way. You got through it, and you're here. Better days are ahead. Better days were ahead for these folks. And the promise is that Jesus is with us, that we're not by ourselves. The theme of this church was that they were discouraged. We had this awakening thing the last two nights, and the reason we did that is because we're trying to set a revival with God's help through the church in northern Kentucky through the Baptist churches. There's a lot of stuff going on in our culture. Churches are facing opposition. Churches are discouraged. And the, the, the gentleman that preached, he said, you know, we all know what revival is, but what are we doing about it? It resonated with me. And I think a lot of times... We don't do things because we're discouraged. We have the greatest message of the world, and that's Jesus the Christ. And he wants this church, he wants you to know that he's with us. He wants you to know that the message that applied to this church applies to you. Are you worrying about something today? Are you hurting? You worrying about the future? You worrying about your kids? Been there. Worried about your job? Been there. I want to tell you something. He's got it all. He's got the whole world in his hands, and he's got you today. And he had this church, and he tells them in verse 12, he says, look at this. 
the one who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. See, they were used to things changing, but he's telling them there's going to come a day someday when we will be in the presence of God. Those who were used to having earthquakes and shaky situations and running outside for safety, he's telling them, but you're going to be in a temple and it's secure one of these days when I come and take you there. And they have to say, what a thought. What an amazing thought. People say, well, Kent, you know, that's really nice, but did it work? You know, because we hear these stories. Did it work? I mean, I watch the movie. I see the superheroes. How's it end? That's what I want to know. How did it end? Every one of these churches that we've studied, how did it end? We've been, I've been telling you how it ended. Check this out. Here's what, how it ended with this church. They went on to become a pillar in the community there. It must have worked because history records that when other churches were failing, Philadelphia was still standing. They weren't just hearers of the word. They were doers of the word. All the way up until the end of World War I, there were Greek-speaking people who were believers, and they were influenced all the way back to the Church of Philadelphia because they didn't just listen to the story. They listened and obeyed. How do these chapters end? Blessed he that hears and obeys. We've got another church called Laodiceo. This church is different a little bit because they're wealthy, materially speaking. They didn't have a need for anything or anybody. They were so rich, they were making their own money. I've never met anybody like that. They were making their own money, putting their names on it. How cool would that be? You find a coin that says Holland on it. Wow. That's my name, by the way. I wouldn't get you a nickel. These folks were so wealthy that they were making their own, 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 own money. And we think, well, it would be great to be rich, wouldn't it? I always ask people, if you won the lottery, what's the first thing you'd do? You know, people have all kinds of crazy ideas. Or if you came into a big amount of money, what would you do? And you ought to hear the responses you get. You think, well, I, if I was rich, I'd do this, I'd do that. Let me tell you, you're rich today. How many of you believe you're rich today? Did you know that if you own a home, you're in the top 3% of the richest people in the world? Did you know that if you have a car, you're in the top 6% of the richest people in the world? How many of you know you're rich today? perspective, isn't it? The average American today is twice as rich, even adjusting for inflation, as they were in 1957. But there's a big difference between having a rich lifestyle and living a truly rich life. Jesus wasn't impressed with the folks in Laodicea. Look what he says. He wasn't a preaching against their wealth. I want to make sure you catch that. He doesn't preach against wealth. He was preaching because they were spiritually poor. They were wealthy. He didn't say anything about that. You know, he's just talking about being spiritually poor. There's nothing wrong with having money, but the problem is when money has us, then it becomes a problem. He's telling them to follow him. There was a challenge here. They were comfortable. They were comfortable, and he illustrates this in, ver in uh, verse 14. He says, I know the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now, this is an interesting story. Brother Ken, the backdrop of this one really makes a lot of sense. Listen to this, buddy. This is so cool. He listens anyway because he's my pastor, right? On one side of this city was Hierapolis. And in Hierapolis, there were these hot springs. They were natural. They were hot. Hot water, man, in a time when they didn't really have hot water. Laodicea is right here, Hierapolis is over there, and it's hot water, hot springs, and they could see this. 
95-degree bubbling water all the time. It was rich in minerals over there, spilling over the edge of cliffs. It was something beautiful. White curtains of calcium carbonate stalactites were 300 feet high, almost a mile wide. A bleak, bleached flux encroachment was happening. I, 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 this beautiful thing over here with the top off. That's pretty neat, huh? All you had to see was right here in the middle. On the other side was the city called Colossae. Colossae was a mountain range, and there was snow on the top of it much of the year, beautiful waterfalls. And guess what was running out of those mountains? Cold water. You think they understood this? They look this way, they see hot water. They look that way, they see cold water. Somebody gets the idea and says, you know what? If we figure a way to do this, we could bring this stuff together, and we could have running water. And they did this. They had pipes. But the problem was, when they got it all together, by the time it came from over here and over here, guess what? It was neither hot nor cold, and it wasn't fit for anything. They knew what Jesus was talking about when he said, I wish that you were either hot or cold. The Laodiceans designed an elaborate piping system out of clay. They had money. They knew how to do all this stuff. And when he spoke to them, it resonated because in their walk, they were neither hot nor cold, but they were lukewarm. One writer puts it like this, hot water is soothing. Cold water is refreshing. Lukewarm is neither one. He tells them that they are like that spiritually speaking. They were indifferent about their walk. They weren't passionate about their walk. There was nothing refreshing about their walk with Jesus. And if we're not careful, it can get that way for us. You ever had that in your life when you were spiritually? I mean, I remember when I got saved, man, I was, I was on fire. I was telling everybody about Jesus. They go, oh, here he comes, run away. Get away from him. Look out, here he comes. All they want to talk about Jesus. And over time, if we don't stay in the word and we don't stay in fellowship, what happens? We can become indifferent a little bit. And we lose our passion. And so many times we see that happen with churches. But it starts with individuals because the church is the people. And these seven churches all had issues. This one was lukewarm. You know, with every blessing, there comes the possibility, I think, of a curse. There could be if we're not careful with God's word. Amen? You know what I'm saying? And sometimes when we get so comfortable, we don't realize what a responsibility it is for us. To much is given, much is required. And that's the way it was with this church. They were indifferent. 1986 Nobel Peace Prize winner Ellie Weisel said this about indifference in his acceptance speech. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of success is not failure, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. A pastor named Paul Schaffler says it like this, indifference is living life uncommitted to anything in particular, and indifference can rob you of your joy in your Christian life. The story of the church at Laodicea was indifference. It happens in our lives. It can happen in, in various areas of our lives. We can get so comfortable that we become indifferent to whatever it might be, like our job, our marriages, our church. Here's a question that we should be asking ourselves. Are we willing to sacrifice to make a difference with our time, with our money, 
with our gifts. It's all God's anyway. When you really think about it, it all belongs to him. He gives it all. He gives us the breath that we breathe. He gives us the things that we have. How blessed are we in this country, you guys, that we can come in this place. Somebody told me the other day, said, I actually like these chairs better in the pews. They're more comfortable. To sit in a comfortable setting, like I've said before, climate controlled, to be in a place where we can come and worship, we are blessed. Jesus warned this church to either get hot or cold. And we see what happens when a church loses its relevance. There's an urban legend about a man who bought a Winnebago. And uh, one day the Winnebago was going down the road and a state trooper was following it and all of a sudden it started weaving. And then it went off the road and drove off into the road and hit a, hit a ditch and came up and hit a tree. State trooper goes up. There's a man. He's coming out of it. He's kind of walking like this. He said, what happened? He said, man, I don't know. He said, I just bought this thing. I, I got it going. I put it on cruise control, went back to get a cup of coffee, and here I am. And there's a lot of truth in that, right? I mean, I gave my heart to Jesus. Now I'm going to put it on cruise control, and here I am. It's not by works, but it's by grace. It's when we recognize how much we're lost. We're drawn to him. We're drawn to him because he loves you. He loves you, and he loves me. And this church had lost sight of what they were doing. And he says to them, you say, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, and poor, blind, and naked. You see, Laodicea heard this message, and they took to heart what he said. And Laodicea became a major player for Christians in this, in this century. They took it to heart, and records show that out of this church, after this message, they had over 20 bishops. It was growing, and that message went out, and it was affecting their community. They didn't just stay within the walls. See, that, that's, where we, that, that, that's kind of where we lose. We, we're not supposed to just stay in here. We're supposed to go out. We talked about seven churches for the last few weeks. These churches had different themes, if you remember. The first one was Ephesus. They were too busy. They'd lost sight. The second church was Smyrna. They were suffering. The next one was Pergamon. They were confused. third one was Thyatira. They were compromising. Sardis was dead. Philippians we just read was discouraged and Laodicea was complacent. Did you see these words? Too busy, suffering, confused, compromising, dead, discouraged, and complacent. Sound familiar? Why did I preach this message? Let me tell you something, guys. It hit right where I live. Because sometimes I'm each one of those. And I think that we need to be reminded as individuals and as a church that these things can happen but there's a solution for all of them, and it's the story of this book. It's the story of this book from Genesis to the maps. And that story is that you and I can be victorious just like they were against those things, and his name is Jesus. Not religion, Jesus. You've seen some of these before. So, the theme is consistent. This, Jesus tells them to come back. He tells them to hang on. He tells them to wake up. He tells them to open up. All of these things have to do with internal changes. And when we change what's on the inside, guess what happens? We change things on the outside. And we begin to grow. And that is the story of the 
churches today. The theme is Jesus. The word is victorious. I want to be on that team, don't you? Listen, I told you before, I never got to be on a winning team growing up. I was always the little kid sitting over there that got picked last because I was the piano player. Nobody, he can't hit the ball. He can't run. He plays the piano. What's wrong with him? I want to be on a winning team. And I am with Jesus. How about you? How about you? The same Jesus that spoke to these churches is speaking to us. And the same things that they accomplished to become victorious, he can do as well through his power and his grace. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about him. And when we start with him, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. Over and over again, from the beginning to end, the entire book is about Jesus. And he's talking to a church. The church is a movement. And as believers, we're following him today. As Christ followers, we are the church. And so here's the deal. We shouldn't just go to church. We should go be the church. Amen? I hope you've been encouraged by these seven letters. I hope that they've spoken to your heart because I believe they're relevant for us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your love. I thank you, God, that you revealed this message to John on the island of Patmos. And I thank you, God, that he wrote it down and, and it talked about things that were relevant in their culture, but we can also see that it speaks to us where we are. Father, I pray for those today that might be here that might be discouraged. And I pray, God, that they feel your Holy Spirit, that, that you would touch them and encourage them, Lord, because better days are ahead. You said that. You said open doors. As your children, God, it may not always be easy, but you're always there. And so I pray for that person today, for those persons that are hurting and they're discouraged. May they feel the wooing of you in their heart. I pray, God, that you move through this place and, and help us to recognize as a church that we shouldn't just go to church, but that we would have a passion for our community, that we would go be the church, that it would start with me. and invite people to be a part of your church. Because you love the world so much that you gave your son Jesus. And we are grateful for that. So I ask that you be with us in this time. I pray, Lord, that you're glorified in all that we're doing. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. This is a time of commitment. It's a time when we sing and we pray and let it go. Give it to the Lord something on your heart you'd like to come forward we will pray with you maybe there's something in your life that you, you're discouraged about we got deacons that will pray with you we got folks that want to encourage you maybe you're here and you're a Christ follower you want to take the Lord's Supper if you're a believer who's taken